The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. Welcome to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, Ed Meyer. And good evening and welcome to Winning Ponies. I'm your host, Ed Meyer. Thank you for taking time to be with us this Thursday evening. Holidays are fast approaching. If you've not done your shopping, I think you're a little light. Yep. You know how I know that? Because I've been a late planner. That's right. Not really a planner. That, that's failing to plan and planning to fail. All of the above. I've done it all. And anyway, it's out there, and uh, traffic is tough and it's ugly. Holidays are upon us, no matter what you celebrate. Remember, Winning Ponies is always here, and we're going to be celebrating as well. We're looking forward to having a few days down, and then coming back because Santa Anita kicks open up on the 26th. Can you believe that? It's already upon us. Santa Anita. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing what is going to be happening. You know, they are going to be doing dirt. Did you know that? If not, hey, I have enlightened you fully, and trust you me, it's, it's going to be a whole different meet. I think uh, the synthetic revolution in California has been given the standing eight count. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be kind of difficult, different, difficult, but I think the bumps are going to be well, well worth it. We're going to get back to good old mother nature dirt out in California. Winning ponies, over $11.1 million for the year in exotic predictions. Not bad shooting. Sweet fish in a barrel. It's coming to a close. That means the year only for date-wise, because the action is year-round. We would like to thank you for being a member, taking time to tune in with us, and sharing our love for the Sport of Kings. Happy holidays to everyone. No matter what days you celebrate, enjoy the upcoming additions in 2011 with some of the, the great additions that Winning Ponies are going to add to their site. Real-time results and biggins, real-time track conditions, changes, scratches, Post-time data, cancellations changing of any data, all real-time. What that translates to be is it happens instantaneous, easy-to-use, color-coded tier levels. Speed ratings for the current race, the last three races, and turf ratings. You've got to love that. Icons that can make the difference between winning and losing. A couple that come to my mind, three-year-olds and older. I always like to know that. The monster workout, dropping in class. Sharp workout and much, much more. But you got to check it out. www.winningponies.com. And we're also going to be having real time. That means up to the minute, up to the second, really. It's right there. I mean, especially, I like the part about the odds board. No more guessing. You know, if you're sitting there handicapping, you want to know what the odds are 
right away because that can make the difference of where you pull the trigger. What's happening tonight? We're going to do a little recap of last week's races. We're going to talk about some biggins. And we're going to do a little bit of an opening story. You can't really call it a story. been doing a lot of reading on it, Horse of the Year debate. Joining us this evening is trainer and one of the head honcho chiefs, a man of racing voice for TVG, Mr. Tom Amos, going to be joining us. Also in the second half, we're all going to have on two guests as well. Mr. John McDoom from the Daily Racing Forum will be calling in, talking about the Horse of the Year debate, where his vote will be going. News, Final Furlong Handicapping, and I'm going to be kicking it at Santa Anita for Sunday because there's not going to be much going on Friday and or Saturday. So sit back, enjoy it because the holidays are coming upon, and we'll recap last week's stakes results. We had the Cash Call Futurity Grade 1 at Hollywood Park Value, the race $750,000, two-year-olds a mile on the 16th. Winner is comma to the top. Wins by a length in three parts for $375,000 up for grass. Corey Nakatani in the irons. Comet to the top run a very nice race indeed. I, I think that uh, this two-year-old gelding by Buana Charlie is, uh, is going to be heard from. Cash Call Futurity, nice race at Hollywood, always offers some great value indeed. The W.L. McKnight, grade two at Calder, value of the race is $150,000, mile and a half. Three-year-olds and up. Winner, Prince Will I Am, wins by two and a half lengths. Oh, my man, J.J. Castellano. I'm not going to say kid and fight his way out of a paper bag, but he didn't want to take on Calvin Burrell that day. Uh, I don't think very many bigger men will want to take on Burrell, but Castellano, wiser man and one heck of a rider. And uh, once upon a time, uh, used to call Calder his home. W.L. McKnight always produces some very nice runners. Prince Will, I am. Where were you on Breeders' Cup weekend for me? I'm still crying about that one. Pacific Heights Stakes, Golden Gate Fields. It was only $75,000 up for grabs. Going to go a mile and eight. Winner is Katzalot by three and three quarters. Kutan is, Jay Kutan is the jockey for Lenny Powell. Very nice indeed for Golden Gate. The Gravesend Handicap at Aqueduct. Value of the race, $65,000. Seems like that's shrinking a little bit. Winner is Calabrocha. David Cohn for Todd Pletcher wins by a length and a half. Very nice shooting indeed. Gets about 39000 for the winners into that. The Bonapal Stakes at Fairgrounds. Value of the race, 60 grand, five and a half on the T, which stands for turf. Winner is due date. Two and a half beautiful links. Tony Farina, Steve Margolis is the conditioner. Steve Margolis doing very well down in Louisiana. Running third was uh, Mr. Tom Amos's horse, Backtalk. Backtalk and Corey Lannery on board for him. Well, we'll be chatting with him here shortly. He will probably be coming on hold here any minute now. We'll chat with him. Looking forward to that. Love when he gives his, his insights for TVG. Tenacious Handicap Fairgrounds. Value of the race, $58,800. Winner is the One Country Flavor. Wins by a dirty neck, Shane Sellers in the irons. I'll tell you what, Shane has found his way back, and boy, nothing made me happier that he actually uh, was able to overcome that knee injury. I can remember when that happened at Keeneland. It just seemed like yesterday. I believe it was for a Frankie Brothers runner. Then there was the Letelier Memorial at Fairgrounds. 
And winner is Fastation, wins by three and a half lengths. Sean Bridgman and Asmussen show they continue to take it on the road. They're down south and doing very well together. Oh, Mr. Amos runs second there on, with fiscal policy. And uh, on the fairgrounds, uh, had some beautiful races there. Then we had the Esplanade Stakes Fairgrounds. And winner is Wildcat Heiress. Corey Lannery aboard for Tavis McCauley wins by three and three parts of a length. Very nice indeed. Sugar Bowl Stakes Fairgrounds is Arch Arch. John Kenton Court in the Irish for Jinx Fires wins by a length and three parts. I wish I would have saw that race, to be very honest with you. That one I did miss. I usually like to go back and, and take a peek at everything uh, as far as the major stakes, but that one I did miss, I, to be very honest with you there. But I, I will go back and check that one out because I want to at least do my homework and do put in my time there. Then we got the Eleanor Casey Memorial Stakes Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races. Princess Selena, Kendrick Carmouche aboard. And uh, wins by a dirty neck at uh, Charlestown Races here. Listen to this. The value of the race, 51150 That is called the power of slot machines. Do not fool thyself. It's not a fix-it, but it sure Cures a lot of sins right now and allows horsemen to run for what they're due for. Then we have the Maryland Juvenile Championship at Laurel Park. Fifty grand for seven and a half furlongs. Two-year-old baby's concealed identity goes to the wire. Mr. Acosta is the winning rider by three and a half lengths. We have the Prairie Bray at Turfway Park. $50,000 up for grass. Timeless fashion winner, James Lopez for Thomas Drury. He's a nice conditioner. Very nice. If you're playing a Kentucky circuit, don't be afraid of Tommy Drury. Every time he brings them... He brings him ready. Wins by a dirty nose. I call him the dirty nose because that is some tough picking there. you got all that way to run around the track, and you hold him up by a nose or head, just enough to give you more gray hairs. Then we got the Hank Millions, Mills excuse me, Sr. at Turf Paradise. And it was only for 25000 but I'll take that any day of the week. One mile. Winner is All Saint. And I'll tell you what, wins by two and a quarter lengths. And as I said, hey, they won $15,000 for the winner share. Granted, things can always be better, but hey, take what we can get in this day and time. So that kind of gives you a wrap-up of what happened last week. I was reading something here. Claire Novak, I, I like, like to read her blog. She does a lot of work for ESPN and a lot, a lot of freelance and uh, a great journalist. And I really enjoy reading, reading her articles. And right about now, she's starting to pull people about Horse of the Year. Horse of the Year is starting to get to be one of those uh, hot issues. Not that it hasn't been since, since Breeders' Cup, the classic. But, okay, here's a few people. I'm, j- I'm just kind of scrolling down here. Angel Cordero. I think we've heard of him. He talked about he liked Rachel. He likes Zignani. He talked about who's Horse of the Year. But, you know, I guess all said and done, he sees athleticism in both of them. It sounds to me like he's playing Switzerland. It sounds to me like he's playing Switzerland, but he's kind of leaning towards Zenyatta being the sentimental favorite. Angel, I respect you, but you were playing Switzerland. Gary Contessa, he says he thinks Zenyatta should have been a horse of the year last year and deserves it this year. Okay, Gary, you put your mouth right out there with it. I do like it, right or wrong. It's your opinion. I do respect it. Jerry Bailey, now this is a guy that uh, sometimes can, can, uh, can chafe you a little bit like a saddle. It's very simple to me. Blame gets it. I'm still astonished that Zenyatta didn't win it last year. She deserved it over Rachel, but anyone standing, what, what, what is Jerry going on about? He said it right there. It's simple to me. Blame gets it. So, period. Jerry, period. 
I love Jerry. Man, I miss him in the saddle. I know many, many people do. As far as players, uh, fans of the game, there was none better. Jerry Bailey just didn't make the, he just didn't make the little, the little mistakes. Jockey Chris McCarron, what a nice guy. This guy's a class act. Three words, Zenyatta, Zenyatta, Zenyatta. There you go. Jerry Hollendorfer, if I had a vote, I'd vote for Zenyatta. Okay. Now we're kind of getting a little bit. We've got a one blame, and we've got some Zenyattas here. Trainer Neil Howard, this is a tough one. Neil's calling it a tough one. No kidding, it's a tough one. If you love racing like we all do, then you're torn. But look at what Zenyatta's done for racing. It's going to be tough. And it's even going to be tough when I talk to the gentleman. It's going to be our first guest here. It is time for us to a break, and when we return, we're going to be talking with this week's special guest, Mr. Tom Amos, here on Winning Ponies. Passing out hundred-dollar bills, and it kills, and it thrills, like the horns on my Silverado grill. And I buy the bar, double round the crown, and everybody's getting down in this town. Ain't never going to be the same. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of Horse Stradamus, handicapper extraordinaire with the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, Ed Meyer. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with Ed or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com. Now back to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. And welcome back to you. Thanks for taking time to join us here at Winning Ponies, uh, because without you, there'd be no us, and we definitely appreciate 
you tuning in with us, being a member, being being a participant, and definitely being a horse racing fan because you make it all the better. And thank you for tuning in with us tonight. It is segment number two, and joining us this week is our special guest. We love to chat with someone in racing. This week, no different. Our special guest is a New Orleans bred horseman. I, I believe I have that guy right about there. New Orleans bred horseman in a very articulate voice of racing. Mr. Tom Amos. Tom, are you there? I am, Ed. Thank you for having me. And you are indeed right. I am a New Orleans native. <laughs> well, you know, I, I threw in bread there because, you know, we're talking horses here. I didn't know if you'd uh, take offense to that. Not, not at all. <laughs> you know, Tom, thanks again, especially the holiday weekend. I, I know it's kind of crazy. And this is your first visit this evening uh, with Winning Ponies, and you know, I can't thank you enough. Uh, can you tell our listeners how you caught the racing bug and, and made this your labor of love? Well, I sure can. Uh, it, it hit me when I was about 12 years old. As everyone knows, New Orleans has a, a deep racing tradition in the fairgrounds, and uh I happen to be good friends with uh, a guy that's buying the year with Blame, and that's Al Stahl. And we, we, we go back to when we were about 12 years old, and uh, Al's father was a horse owner and used to take us to the track with him on the weekends. He was a very gracious man. Uh, he's still around, by the way. I don't mean to say that in the past tense, but he always included his kids in everything he did, and uh, he was a lover of horse racing. And uh, so I, I just tagged along. So I got to go to the races as well, and probably after doing it about four or five times and really, really catching the bug, uh, I got my first experience on the backside one Saturday morning. You got to see all that goes into uh, getting these horses to the race. You know, back then I used to think that, you know, they just put a saddle on them, the fastest horse won. I had no idea all the detail uh, and the work that went into getting a horse ready to run in a race. And uh, I fell in love with it, and I knew that that's what I was going to do with my life at that point. I was a small kid back then and small for my size so I thought maybe I'd be able to ride and uh, and I actually owned, owned a, a quarter horse all the way through high school but I outgrew that and uh, so the logical choice was to try to become a trainer and got my degree from LSU as did Al uh, and uh, as soon as I got my degree I went to work at the track and that would have been 1983 and I saw my first winner in 1987 and that was prize dream at Sportsman's Park man you're good <laughs> yeah, it was. Prize me in Sportsman's Park. Uh, it was my first winner. Maiden 7,500. It was like winning the Kentucky Derby. I'll never forget it, believe me. Uh, I still have her win picture in the basement of my house. And uh, I look at it, and I just kind of chuckled to myself because that was so long ago. Uh, but um, I had about, I think I had maybe two or three winners at the Sportsman's Park meet. And I got lured to be the assistant trainer for John Paracella at the end of that Sportsman's meet. And I gave up. Uh, the eight horses I was training to go to New York uh, to work for John. John had really good horses back then, uh, Simply Majestic, Chapel of Dreams, Roger Shark. I mean, he was a big name in New York, and I got to work with some really, really good thoroughbreds. And John was a, a guy that uh, really let you do a lot of the work. He, he dictated a lot of the uh, work to you. So uh, it, was, it was a great experience. And the following year, in 1988, I began training full-time in Louisiana. You spoke about John Paracello. Also on your resume, uh, the great Jack Vanberg, uh, uh, the talented Frankie Brothers. And John Paracello, 
Actually, I, I live very close to Turfway Park. And now John Paracella was down here, and uh, and I'm going to say uh, quite a very colorful character. And he was uh, he was electric as they come, and he was always a hoot. And we, we really enjoyed getting to know John because he he stormed in out of New York, and he took Turfway Park uh, in Kentucky by uh, by storm, especially with uh, his claiming abilities by getting a horse for we'll say. Four to five thousand dollars, and coming back and running for seventy-five. Yeah, I, you know, I was with John long before that, and uh, and, and 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 I see John still nowadays. Uh, every once in a while, particularly when I go to New York, of course, everybody knows he's in New York now. And um, of John, I'll say this: um, he taught me uh, the, the the pressure of working with really really good horses, and uh, and in making decisions with those horses and how to train. Uh, so that when I went out on my own, I, I really felt comfortable with any decision I made on, on, on what to do with the horse on a given day as I was preparing him for a race. It seems like the tutelage that you, you followed uh, from uh, the, the great Jack Vanberg, who uh, was was versed and geared with claimers and on up. I mean, he could take him from a $2,500 claimer to a, to a $2 million runner. It didn't matter. Frankie Brothers, the same. John Paracella, all, also talented. February 28, 2000 was a, was a big day for you. There was a thousand at Fairgrounds. You've been inducted to the Hall of Fame at the same oval in 1999. Can you tell our listeners and how trainers prepare and or what they should look for as far as handicapping angles at the uh, historic Fairgrounds Oval? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been here, I've been in the Fairgrounds a lot of years. Uh, you know, it's where I've, um, you know, really begin working towards being a trainer. And, of course, I've been there every year as a trainer after that. Uh, I think the Fairgrounds um, uh, offers a, a couple of things that, that are of interest. Um, you know, number one, it has one of the longest stretches in America. And, and people sometimes can confuse that with meaning that it's going to play to off the pace. But what the fairgrounds offers, uh, in my opinion, on the dirt course, is, is, is very, very seldom does it, does it have any kind of bias. So that long stretch, I think, ensures for a fair race. And uh, and so, you know, when, when people are handicapping, as well as, as trainers, one of the most frustrating things can be a pair of horse for a race, and, and on that given day, practice playing against the style your horse is running. Uh, so, you know, if I'm a handicapper, or, or as a trainer particularly, um, I, I love racing on a track where everything's fair. Uh, you know, it's a fair playing field. And the fairgrounds, I, in my opinion, offers that more than any other track in the United States. And, um, and that's, that's really, I think, the biggest compliment I can give a track. Uh, agreed a thousand percent. When when there's no bias, once upon a time the old golden, uh, the old golden rail, when you got speed on the lead, uh, you could actually march right into the winner's circle if you led by a head. Hence Pat Day, who was spectacular in every way, shape, and form of the word, when he'd get on the lead by a half a length and just tear them apart down the lane. And uh, there, there's tracks that are known for old time biases. You know, from what I've seen, or excuse me, Tom, I keep going back to Al, and, and uh, there's no comparison, so don't don't even correct me on that, young man. <laughs> I, don't because, tell him that. <laughs> because he said you guys were such good friends. But there's something that I, I see, and, and, and I'd love to be corrected. Is there any correlation between when you see runners coming from fairgrounds, I see that the Chicago shippers from Hawthorne and Churchill runners seem to hold their own very well. Yeah, um... I think I think this about the fairgrounds. I think that uh, that that you know, first of all, a good horse can be a good horse anywhere, and uh, 
in, in, in the tracks you mentioned, um, particularly Churchill, uh, offers some very good racing, uh, especially amongst the, the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds uh, at this time of year. So, uh, you know, obviously they're going to run successfully the fairgrounds. If I was going to point out anything, I think that the, the Canadian shippers tend to need a little acclimation down here before they run their best races. That's something I've noticed through time. And I would say that the other thing I've noticed is that horses that come from Remington, which is a meet that, uh, that, that ends closely to when the fairground starts, tend to, tend to have a tough time of it here. Uh, th- those are, are really the trends that I've seen uh, here at the fairgrounds. And, and, and one of the things that you guys will see in another month is when Oakland opens, they'll get some fairgrounds activity. By that I mean fairgrounds horses will go to Oakland and try to compete up there. Uh, traditionally, they do very, very well at Oakland, so I think that's uh, a line to follow as well. I think these are very important words for for our fans out there that like to make a wager in it or two, and you know that, that like to follow the game and have a fuller understanding of of you know how the track plays and and who better than than a trainer that 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 has won uh, so many titles there and and uh, been inducted into the Hall of Fame, such as yourself. As a as a Louisiana bred trainer, I keep coming back to bred trainer, and you, you're multiple circuits. Uh, you, you run in Florida, Keeneland, Churchill, Saratoga. During the course of the year, will we find you at different points? So, uh, say, do you ship to Keeneland in the spring? Is it Saratoga? Where do we find you during the course of the year? Well, um, you know, for our stable, uh, it, it's usually a stable of about 60 horses in my barn uh, year-round. And uh, when we split, up into more than one division, which is not something that we really like to do, but but do out of necessity. Uh, we'll do it between uh, in the spring with Churchill uh, being our base and uh, in Chicago uh, being our other spot. Now this year, this past year, uh, we really utilized the two tracks at Indiana Downs during the spring and summer, and that would be Indiana Downs and Hoosier Park, and we had really good success there, and the purse money is also quite good. So... Uh, as we step forward in the spring of 2011, um, I think you're going to see more emphasis from our barn in, in, in the Indiana area and less emphasis in the Chicago area because it's just been a really, really tough go for Arlington Park. And that's, that's, that's nothing short of a tragedy. A beautiful, beautiful racetrack, really the Taj Mahal of the racetracks in the United States, in my opinion, and, and, and it's run very, very well by Mr. Dutch Swan and his staff. But the purse money is, is just... It's, it's, it's weak, and, and the racing is tough. And, uh, you know, look, my job is to put my horses uh, in races where they can be the most competitive. You know the old saying, put your horses in the worst company you can find and keep yourself in the best company you can find. That's why we're on the radio together tonight, Ed. <laughs> well, so, thank uh, you. But anyhow, but, uh, but, the, but that cliche holds true, and, you know, my, my goal is to try to make, uh, make money for owners and find the best possible spot to do that. Right now, Indiana is a, is a really good opportunity for something like that. You know, you, you you had touched on Arlington Park. Now, as a conditioner, you've seen all types of courses and surfaces, polytrack, synthetic ovals. Are are they here to stay, or or is this just a fading chapter in racing? Well, I'm I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I was at Keeneland um, the first. This was right after uh, Turfway's inaugural meet where they had poly where they had a polytrack. I was at Keeneland uh, the following um, right following that. So that would have been September. And so I'm racing at Keenan in October, and their director of racing came up to me and said, Tom, we're going to be going to a polytrack surface here. What do you think? And, uh, and, and Keenan's surface, uh, dirt surface, was notoriously terrible. I said, well, I think 
any change would be good here. I said, but before you praise Turfway Surface, you know, I don't think you're giving it a chance to really to, to have the traffic and the time element that comes with any kind of racing surface. Right now you're seeing it with Santa Anita. They're raving about Santa Anita's new surface. Let, let's see, and I hope, I hope they still rave about it, but let's see what happens after a year when it's had a lot of traffic and, and, and a lot of, uh, you know, racing over it. We'll find out whether that's really a good surface or not. My point is, and I said this to the guy, uh, my point is that I could buy a brand new Lexus or I could buy a brand new Hyundai. And for the first 10,000 miles, they're probably both going to drive great. But after those 10,000 miles, are the two cars still going to hold up, you know, and then for the test of time? And I really think that that's the tragedy of California. They, they bought into what that surface was going to be before the 10,000 miles had been driven on it, and, uh, and now they're regretting it. And so to make a mandate that says all tracks in the state have to be a synthetic surface, looking back on it, was, it was a terrible, terrible flaw uh, for them and, uh, and, and hopefully something they recover from. I'm a traditionalist. I like dirt racing. Uh, you know, whether this is something that comes or not, I don't, I don't have the answer to it, and I don't know. Uh, I certainly don't get to vote on that, uh, but, but I'm, I'm a dirt racing guy. Well, holding holding sway at the fairgrounds for as many moons as you have, and, and done quite well, and always, and, and your percentage speaks for itself. I would, I was, I was of the assumption, but I had to ask, especially, it's of no dig or or or, or uh, putting anyone down. The California mandate still has me scratching my head, and it seems like it just appeared overnight. And if you didn't have it before X amount of time, you were no longer a race course. I think you, you touched on it and it was spoken like a true conditioner and trainer. Time will tell. And I don't think that, uh, I, I think we may have jumped the gun, and especially in Kentucky. I think we needed a little bit more time as a sampling just to see how things in the lay of the land really uh, unfolded for us. Well, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, you know, when you mentioned the two tracks, Kentucky Turfway, which has terrible, terrible trouble with the winter weather, mm-hmm. and uh, Keeneland, which their dirt course was a was a nightmare, uh, in my opinion. Um, those are two tracks that, that certainly need to do something with their racetrack. And, uh, you know, I don't race a turfway in the winter, so I guess I can't comment on whether it's been a plus or a minus there. I do race at Keeneland, uh, and, and to me, um, and it's reflected through the handle, and, and obviously that's what the betters are betting. Keeneland has become uh, a surface all its own that it's very hard to make heads or tails of when you run horses over it. Uh, the one thing I have found, and I do handicap Keeneland quite a bit because I work at TVG during those meets, uh, is that horses that are stable there and show multiple works long before the Keeneland meet starts uh, tend to run very, very well over that surface. Um, so uh, I do think there is a home field advantage there. I couldn't agree with you more there. And to take you back to Keeneland, uh, to, to date us both, I can remember when Sky Blue Pink won the Thurbid Club, was it uh, Club of America at Keeneland? You know, uh, I'll tell you a funny story about Sky Blue Pink. She was a really, really good racehorse, maybe one of the best sprinters I ever had. And she was on a tremendous win streak for me. And she ran at Churchill Downs, uh, and she developed a cough a couple of days beforehand, but we couldn't pinpoint as anything. And we ran her that day going seven and a half furlongs at Churchill, which was a one-turn race there. She won it. She broke the track record, and then she got very, very sick. We didn't bring her back until that fall at Keeneland when she ran in that particular race. And when we brought her back for, for the race that you're referring to, 
she got to a point where she lost a step because she lost a little capacity in her lungs. But that was back before polytrack, and Keelan's dirt track oftentimes played to rail and speed. And that race carried her all the way around there, that, that track did. She was probably not the best horse that day, but she made the rail and she made the lead, and she was able to hang on and win. And that was her last really, really good performance. The golden conveyor belt of Keeneland, speed on the lead, how it used to be so kind. I have to ask you, Tom, how was it for you to to, to make the big jump? You know, you go from a conditioner, and, and you're in the limelight, and, and, and you're, the media is, is always has a mic or a pencil in your face, and they always want to know what you think. But now you're an analyst for TVG. And do you see this being a part of your life down the road, or is this just a comfortable forum for you to talk about racing? Well, I, I try to be myself, first of all. But um, I do remember when I first was uh, doing uh, the work show for the Kentucky Derby and for the Breeders' Cup um, that I had made a comment about a horse, and it was accurate. Uh, and, and the comment was about a Bob Baffert horse, and that Baffert very politely uh, saw me later that day and said, Hey, Tom. You have to remember that the words that come out of your mouth are heard by everybody, including my owners, and I, I think you should choose your words more carefully. And that was good advice. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, if I, if I don't, if there's something I don't like that I see, you know, I'll certainly say it, but I'd say it in a better manner than I did when I first started. Uh, and that's just, uh, that was a learning process for me. Uh, don't get me wrong. Anybody that's listened to me on the air knows that I speak my mind in that particularly when it comes to those kind of shows, which would be the work shows for uh, the Breeders' Cup or for the Derby, if I see a work I don't like, I, I say I don't like it. And I always back it up with what, what I think is fact and, and try to show that as we're you know, showing the work live on TV. So uh, you know, I, I pride myself on that. And through time, people know that that's the way I am. And those kind of comments, uh, I don't get those anymore for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm a little more careful about my words rather than being you know, harsh when I say it, but uh, number two, because people expect that from me and, and know that if their horse didn't work good and I saw it didn't work good, I'm going to say it. When you're before the people, and no matter what uh, what light, if it's on radio, TV, it, it seems like uh, no matter who's up there talking, it could be Joe Blow from the stands wearing a T-shirt and smoking a cigar. No matter who's talking, people are listening. That's, that's something I found out over the years. It, it doesn't really matter, but when it's a very reputable source, people are really tuned in. I understand Bob's comment completely, and you know what? He's, he's right, but I have the scribbled right off here in, in, in the notes here. I love how you bring to light how a horse looks good, carries themselves on the track, the little nuances that many players would have missed if you hadn't picked up right there, and you're right there on the scene. And for the betters that are home on TVG, they love it. Well, look, whether people agree with my comments or don't agree with my comments on the air, I think the one thing that, that, uh, that as an analyst I hopefully do and, and I intend to do is teach them a little bit more about what goes into what happens in the morning because not everybody has the privilege of being out there in the mornings and understanding what we do. So when they get to see it on TV and get an understanding of what we're trying to accomplish uh, with these morning works and, 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 and getting to a race, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that, that myself and others like me have, uh, have made that a little bit easier for them to understand. And by that I mean things like understanding that a work of five-eighths of a mile in a minute flat is it necessarily better than a work of five eighths of a mile in one oh two, which is ten lengths difference? It's the style in which the horses have done it in and, 
and that's what we try to bring out uh, in these works. Well, it shows through bright and shining, and it's always embraced. And even if even if your horse runs next to last or not, you're you're, you're bringing more color to the game. I thoroughly enjoy it, and congratulations on your. Uh, I'm going to call it a sideline because, uh, to my heart of hearts, you're 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 still a top-notch trainer, and it's a wonderful sideline at that, which I hope uh, we see a whole lot more of you on TVG. Tom, I, I, I've held you. I, I train horses you. for a living, so that's what I'm going to keep doing. But Ed, I really appreciate your comments, and uh, oh, thank you. Hey, I had a great time tonight. Well, you're not going anywhere, young man. We got five quick oh, okay. questions here for you, and I told you this okay. is like Jeopardy, except without the big money. And I'm going to fire five real quickies at you, and then I'm going to turn you loose and let you enjoy your holidays. Are you that ready? Sounds sir? great. Question number I'm one: ready. What would you do? LSU is in a bowl game, or would you go to the track and saddle your ten thousand dollar claimer? Oh God! <laughs> I'm going to tell him myself here. Uh, I had uh, a horse in the Delta Downs in the, in the Princess uh, Stakes or a chance to be at the LSU-Arkansas game, and I went to the LSU-Arkansas game. So <laughs> there, you there's have, your answer. You have great assistance, and, and that's why you have them in place. Okay, Thanks question me two. Out there. You get the assist. <laughs> you get, I like that. You get the assist. Question two. Where is the best place in New Orleans to eat? I'm standing outside in the patio of Commander's Palace right now. Uh, have to get ready to have Christmas dinner with my family. But I think the best place in New Orleans is downtown on Bourbon Street, Galatoire's. Best restaurant in New Orleans. I'm going to pass it on to some foodies that will uh, definitely uh, put that into their notebook, Galatoire's. Question number three. How nervous were you when the lights came on and they give you that three, two, action on TVG? Uh, let's see. In 2010, I'm totally at ease. 2005, <laughs> nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. <laughs> well, it does. It, from from minute one, it seemed like you were always at home, and it, there's such a synergy with you guys. It, you kind of bounce and play off each other. It it just looks completely relaxed. Question Let four. Let me tell you, all those guys, all those guys that are on the air for TVG, I've worked with just about every one of them. They're all super guys. They seem to be just really personable folk that they just extend beyond the screen and they make it seem just like a really warm, a really warm compliment to racing. They bring you right into the product. I, I'm a TVG. Matter of fact, I've got it on right now. I'm looking at Charlestown right now, just in the background as, as we speak. But question number four, is racing making its way back or do we have a long road to hoe? Racing is in trouble uh, as it stands right now. I'm very concerned about that. Uh, you know, we don't get it. Things like life at 10 at the Breeders' Cup and over 300,000 bet to win on her and all the things that went into that and all these eyes that she's involved in and, uh, and what happened in that race is such a disservice to the public. Uh, and I don't mean to just bring out that one example because there are many of them. Until racing fully understands that the only reason we exist is because the public bets on our races and believes it's a game that's played on a level playing field. Until we get that, we're in big, big trouble. I would not want to be the next generation of trainer coming along with racing the way it is right now. Very fair and very well put. And the last question is, you've got one word to say, and, and I know Mr. Stahl's not going to hold any, uh, hold any grudges, nor would John Sheriff's. Who wins Horse of the Year, Blame and or Zanyana? Uh, you can't say that in one word, so that's not a fair question. But I will say <laughs> this. 
it should be a vote by the people. That's how the Eclipse Award should be decided, particularly Horse of the Year. I can understand some of the divisions that the people may not have a good grasp on, on who should be voted for. But when it comes to Horse of the Year, it should be a vote of the people, not, not a select elitist group uh, such as the way it's done right now. And your choice? I'm, I'm going to pass. I can't I mean, Al's my best friend, and I love Zenyatta. <laughs> Fair I enough. Look, if I had a vote, I'd make it, but since I don't have a vote, I don't have to vote. You know what? I respectfully understand, and um, I'd like to thank you on behalf of Winnie Ponies. It's been an honor and a privilege to speak with you uh, this holiday season. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and we're going to be looking for you in the winter circle very soon, my friend. Thank you, Tom. Ed, thank you very much, and Merry Christmas to you and everybody out there. Thank you so much. Mr. Tom Amos, a very nice gentleman there, winning ponies analyst. And now we're going to switch gears. We're going to be chatting with someone else. Well, we're not going to a break just yet. Well, we better not. There we go. We're not going to a break just yet. It looks like we're going to probably be going straight on out to 57. Joining us now is Equibase Chart Caller, Daily Racing Forum columnist, and all-around racing contributor, Mr. John McDoolin. John Patrick McDoolin, are you there? I'm here, Ed. How's it going? I'm doing very well. Sorry we went over a few minutes there. I apologize, and thank Not you for your problem. patience. It was very interesting what Tom had to say. He, he's, he's a really good guy. He does a great job with TVG. Yeah, he does. He, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's one of the guys, when I call to interview him, he always calls me back and always, always make time to talk. He's, he's one of the great guys. Well, speaking of one of the great guys, he's on the other end of this phone, and uh, you are uh, you are healing up from a, a, a surgery. I won't go into great detail. Are you feeling better? Yep, feeling pretty pretty good. Okay, and uh, and I uh, understand from Facebook that you're feeling like an 18-year-old, so we'll be watching you jogging around the track soon. Yeah, sure, that's going to happen. <laughs> John, Horse of the Year, it's... Uh, it's really getting to be the hot part of the uh, the year where discussions are really uh, going on. How does it work for you? How does it work overall? Well, you know the the, the people that vote they send us a uh, they send us the PPs of all the horses that are eligible. And like Tom said, some of the easy ones, uh, the two year old Colton Geldings. I mean, you got to go with Uncle Mo. He's undefeated, three for three, went off as the favorite in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and won. Those are the kinds that are easy. Same thing with Awesome Feather. Um, you know, and then when you, like you said, when you get to the horse of the year, then that's when it becomes a problem because then you get emotions involved, and you know, then then people, you know, last year they think Zenyatta got ripped off, and so you know she should be there this year, and then what do you do with blame? And it just, you know, it, you can really spend a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, what what the fairest, most fair thing to do would be. This seems almost like backwards Chinese math. There is no right answer. The older male, I, I believe, will go to blame. What, what, do you agree with that one? Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt. Um, and older female, the same for Zenyatta? Uh, yeah, you almost have to. And that, but then what do you do with Goldakova? I mean, Goldakova, you know. isn't, she, isn't she going to uh, get, the, uh, get the prize for the turf? Uh, yeah, yeah, she is in the turf. In um, the turf? Let me see here. But, Proviso, Tuscan Evening, Goldakova. In my heart, I mean, but, John, you're the man voting. What I say matters not. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to see what you had to say uh, with because there's just so daggone many. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, my whole thing, what do you do with Zenyatta? I mean, she didn't win the, she didn't win the Breeders' Cup. Blaine did. Um, I mean, he was outstanding. Um, won four or five with a second. Won $3.7 million, including the Breeders' Cup Classic. I mean, he did everything he was supposed to. Um, and then, you know, she lost one race all year, or, you know, in her life. And so, you know, how much does that affect it? I, I kind of tend to go, 
Um, and, and this year it's not going to help at all. But, you know, she, she ran her, her uh, lifetime best buyer, one of her lifetime best buyer, um, well, her best on the dirt was a 111, and that's what she ran in the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic. And, and Blames are, are all right there also. I think his, his best lifetime is a 111. So, I mean, you, you almost have to go with Zenyatta after, uh, after what happened last year. And, you know, she did everything, you know, if if she didn't get hadn't gotten in trouble in the Breeders' Cup Classic, I think she'd have won it, and that's that's where my vote's going to go. You know, Mac, I, I was actually chatting with uh, Tom as as you heard. You know, it, I, I've read so daggone much. It's kind of like Breeders' Cup or Derby. You just get over information overload. You know, blame you are you are right. Won the Classic. Usually, the Classic gets the tip of the cap in my heart of hearts. But then again, Blame did not win every race that she she won all of her races. Right. So I, I'm 50-50, and and you have an unenviable position of of choosing. It's almost like choosing a favorite child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they're they're obviously here. both just unbelievably terrific racehorses. Zenyatta, I mean, she like you said, she won 19 of 20. Got her only loss was beaten ahead in that race. So you know, you you can't fault her for that. Um, and, and Blame, you know, he said he's he's not a bad horse himself. He's, he's won nine out of thirteen lifetime. Never been out of the money. Won four point three million. She's won seven point three million. I mean, it, it makes it tough to choose. You know, I kept thinking about it. That Zenyatta being the synthetic specialist. Blame, you know, he only won on the dirt. Zenyatta won on four tracks: San Anita, Oakland, Hollywood Park, Del Mar. Blame won on three different main: Pimlico, Churchill, Saratoga. I mean, we could go on and on. I mean, this is this is kind of a it, it's a conundrum. It, it has no really right or direct answer. But I, I have to uh, allude back to Mr. Amos. You know, he uh, he did not comment. He is a racing analyst, but very good friends with Al Stahl. And I think out of uh, out of respect for the friendship, and out of respect to overall that you know he didn't make a choice there. I was, I guess, trying to draw him into the line of fire, if at all. But I wanted to hear what he had to say. But I think if if I had to bet a quarter on it, he'd probably say blame. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, like I said, I, you can't pick. A, there can't be a wrong answer. I mean, it just. I mean, there there will be people will complain and carry on and and. Uh, you know, just like last year, no matter which way you went, somebody was going to complain about it. Um, you know, and the other thing, and, and all these races, all all the Eclipse Awards, you, you've always got a horse. You know, what do you do? Just because a horse won, you know, the their Breeders' Cup event, does that necessarily make him a champion? Um, you know, you got to think of like Escondida won won three of three this year, um, the three year old Colt and Gelding uh, candidates, and and of course then you got uh, looking at Lucky who you know won four of seven, did everything, uh, Super Saver won the Derby, but you know that that was it for him for the whole year. So, um, you know, it, it, all those things go into it, and you have to weigh, you know, and it's and it's kind of a you know there, there's nothing concrete you can go by. It's just just an opinion basically. I, and I think you, you being a racing professional, your opinion is well taken. And uh, as I think we, we both agree. There is no disagreeing. We just agree that, man, this is just one tough sandwich to eat. John, you, you cover many circuits. You cover the Indiana circuit. You cover Ohio. And you, and you do both incredibly well. Ownership changes in Ohio. It seems like the casino entities have come in. And I wrote a blog earlier in the year, uh, and I said, nothing is ever going to be the same in Ohio when lose or draw after this year and i think with the casino entities i think that's how pretty true yeah there's there's just no doubt about it i mean you you can you know there's uh the, the, the conventional wisdom is that that you know they have all the money and they'll end up getting slots there but but all three of those 
all three of the uh, companies that that bought racetracks have uh, casinos in adjoining states, and so there's you know I, I guess it could be possible that they could just say no that you know they bought the track to keep casinos from getting in those spots, you know to to keep up their business in other places. I, I can't imagine that somebody would pay forty five to sixty million dollars to do that, but you know as much money as they make, you know you never know. You know, there's there's a lot of ties of, of familiarity. Uh, uh, Thistledown is being owned by Harris, and, and Harris is a part owner of Turfway Park. Will, in fact, there be that uh, sisterhood of, uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of the same management uh, that are going to be running the two tracks? That's a question in my mind. Uh, River Downs, uh, you know, just being purchased uh, by Pinnacle, and the purchase is uh, slated to uh, go through, I, I believe, unless, uh, unless you have something from the Ohio Racing Commission to say, I, I, I have a lot of questions. I think there's a lot of good for the game of racing, for the horsemen, you know, in, in the initial that once they get up and running, I, I think that there, there will be some good eventually for the horsemen. And I think, I think we've all lost sight. That was the overall goal, and for the tracks to become more profitable. Right, yeah, and, and I think that uh, that's to me, is going to be one of the huge helps. Is just, you know, they, they were all privately owned. Well, River and uh, Bueller were privately owned, and, and those guys have been so entrenched and argued with, with the HPPA. The same guys were arguing with the same guys for the last 15 years, and after that amount of time, you just, you know, they can't get anything done. I mean, all they want to do is argue. I think they were, they would argue just to argue rather than try to fix a problem sometimes. So, um I think that's going to be a huge help for the horsemen, and, I mean, it, it's got to go up from here, I, I would think. Correct me if I'm wrong. We have dates allotted, but no deal with the horsemen? That's correct. Um, the, yeah, the dates the Ohio, are allotted. On the Ohio but, scene, I should say. Yeah, the, yeah. so they have no simulcast agreement. So, I mean, they, they can go ahead and run the date. Like, River Downs can go ahead and run. I think they've asked for something like 79 days, but, the, you know, the horsemen aren't going to go for that. And. And if they run without the horseman's agreement, then they are forced to, then they can't simulcast. First of all, they can't send out their signal, and what, what is that going to do to them? And then they, they're not able to simulcast um, next year, which, I mean, in, in this day and age at River and Beulah, that's what, it's, I mean, that's where they make their money. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the slots are, that's what we need, the, uh, the video uh, lottery terminals. VLTs. That that's. I mean, that's the that's the only thing that's going to. You know, we're going to catch up with. Uh, Indiana has them. Uh, Pennsylvania has them. And and it should. I mean, uh, I cover Presque Isle Downs and and Hoosier and uh, Indiana Downs. All the three of those tracks have two thousand um, slot machines, and they're talking. And their purses are. I think uh, Hoosier Park's made in special weight were forty two thousand this year. So I mean, and with River Downs were like eight thousand. So. Um, you know, if, and they were talking about putting 2,500 video lottery terminals in each of the racetracks. So, um, you know, we'd have 500 more than they do. So, I mean, if we could get any, if we could get half of that, um, you know, it, it would improve the racing. More people would come out. It just, you know, it's just a big snowball effect. A longtime horse player friend of mine, once upon a time, told me as as a younger lad, he said, "There's only X amount of." butter for the bread now with the addition of of uh, freestanding casinos in this in the state of ohio in uh in, moreover in in cincinnati versus which is about eight miles uh, to the west of river downs if that if that far do you see that we're just going to cannibalize each other or if we reach that saturation point 
I, you know, at some point it's going to happen. And, and like you said, if, if they put two in Cincinnati and they've already got the three that, that are within uh, 40 or 50 miles of Cincinnati, I mean, that's, you know, uh, how many people are going to play slots. Um, I, I think River Downs would have a big advantage over the other place in Cincinnati just because I can't imagine anybody wanting to go downtown Cincinnati and, and risk their life to uh, – as you allude to, it's uh, it's going to be on the backside of the uh, of the county jail, correct? Yes, it is. Yes, so with uh, no hotel, and so if, if someone's <laughs> coming from out of town and they and they want to stay in a hotel, they're going to have to drive across town or walk. Well, they won't be able to walk, but drive across town or take a cab, and and that's just. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, but I do agree. I, I think that uh, the track, uh, River Downs, is actually going to have a, have a hand up on them, and uh, I, I sure have my fingers crossed. John, something near and dear to our heart. We have uh, Christmas this weekend. I know you're going to be spending with the McDoolin clan and friends, and you're probably, if you're feeling better, you'll probably have a, a, a brewski or two. But on Sunday, Santa Anita opens up. And they're back in action. Now, I sent it on to you. I didn't know, in fact, if you had time to handicap or even felt up to it. I, I know I've kind of caught you on the mend here. Did you come up with anything at Santa Anita for Sunday at all? I sure did. There's a horse I like in the La Brea. Um, I don't know. Did you take a race? Uh, take a look at that race I, I or sure, not? I'm looking at it right now. The sixth race going seven panels for yeah, 250 I, I always try to, you know, when you read the conditions of the race, I, I try to, in my mind, before that happens, you know, try to get an idea of a horse that I'm going to look for you know that, and I love horses turning back um, off of a, off of a route. And uh, in the Labria, Malibu Pier um, is a horse that I think will be a halfway decent price, and um, I, I think could uh, might surprise in there. One last time out by four and three quarters. Bejarano's off and Gomez is on. Um, uh, the horse is three for four lifetime. Um, you know this, the state company is going to be. But this isn't a super, super strong race, I don't think. And so uh, had a, had a la- nice work last time. Um, I'm going to go with Malibu Pier and hope for a decent price. Six for your one, Garrett Gomez, three-year-old failure by Malibu Moon, John. And you were just talking four starts, three of what's your wins. Now the grade three loss in that race was on the turf. You know, do, do we excuse that there? I mean, after coming back and, and running on a race that was taken off of the turf, do, do, we, do we toss that effort out? I mean, they're going to be going seven on uh, good old Mother Nature, and Malibu Pierce's last race out was really a scorcher. Yeah, it was. I mean, she, you know, that seemed to like the uh, the synthetic surface out there, and you know, look at worked two back December 11th, the second of 24 worked 46 and two. It looks like after the uh, November 14th uh, was the last time they they had the horse on the turf. I think after the uh, that uh, last race, um, November 21st, they they said, okay, maybe maybe this horse is going to do all right on the uh, on the main track, and so uh, that's what they're shooting for. So. Uh, you know what? It's already going to get my two dollars on it, and I'm going to try to kick off the holiday weekend with that, with a with a McDoolin special. John, uh, we, we'd like to thank you for taking your time to be with us this evening, and uh, thanks for holding on there. Uh, Tom oh, and I went over it. a little bit. My big mouth, as you well know, I can sometimes get us in trouble. Thanks for taking your time with us, and be on the mend, my friend, and have a very, very merry Christmas. Same to you, Ed. Tell Gus I said hi. You got it, buddy. That's Mr. John McDillon, writer for the Daily Racing for Michael Bay Chart Caller, a man of racing and a great handicapper indeed. Well, time flies when you're talking thoroughbred racing, this week no exception. On behalf of Winning Ponies, we'd like to wish you and yours a happy holiday and a very safe and happy new year. So until next week, 
enjoy the family. Kick back and be thankful for a great 2010 because we'll be back next week and we're going to be talking horses here on Winning Ponies. Good night and good luck, everyone. listening to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.